0: 1211 WGN Radio. Let's start with Elise Glink this week, the owner of ThinkLink Media and Best Money Move. She's the co host of This Week in Wealth here on WGN Radio. Hear her and Tom Fortino Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. You can always click on thinkglink.com as we click on her right now. Hey, Elise, how are you?
1: I'm good, John. How are you today?
0: Good. Everybody on the radio gets to wax on a little bit about what they thought or saw or felt at the Super Bowl? Did you watch it? And what's burning in your brain today?
1: Oh, I think it was a great game. Uh, if you like football, which I sort of do. Um, except for the last, what was it, minute where there was that little bit of a call mm-hmm. on holding. That yeah. was kind of annoying. I thought there were some good commercials, though, this year.
0: Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I, I said earlier that none of them blew me away. I didn't go, oh, that's my favorite. Although if asked to name my favorite, I would have said the Amazon commercial where they get another puppy for their mischievous dog. Um, what was the one you liked?
1: Yeah, that was cute. Um, I'm uh, always a big fan of the babies for E Trade, and I really liked the I hate to, I don't know if I hate to say it the J Lo, um, you know, commercial where she uh, oh my god her husband. Can't think of his name. Whatever, uh, they're in the John Dunkin' Holmes. Donuts.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. uh, I don't remember that one.
1: Uh, yeah, he's uh, you know famous actor Ben. That Affleck. was Ben Affleck. Oh, thank, wow. thank that, you, that, Ben Dunkin' Donuts I knew this would eventually come to my brain. Ben Affleck sitting there, you know, doling out coffees, and at the you know end, J Lo turns up. The other one that I really liked was the T-Mobile commercial where um, John Travolta. Act- uh well that was was he was he doing t-mobile i think he did one at
0: the end at least i thought so this is the problem they got the commercials but we don't remember the sponsors that go with them
1: actor 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 this was actor and mother at t-mobile because she looks at him and he's wearing the pink t-mobile shirt and she says you look like a flamingo which if you read about how that actually came about that whole thing looked like it was just meant to be her and him making fun of each other but really they were going to do a scripted oh, commercial was
0: that when he, he was real tall and she was yep. short i didn't and i'm trying to figure out who she was who she was and i i didn't Mom. i didn't remember and here again i got a bunch of people who were all eating buffalo wings and kind of having a good time and so i i, I it was lost on me yeah the, the humor anyway, genius I, of that one
1: all you know, all in good fun. I, I thought the vast majority of them were forgettable, and clearly, you and I have forgotten most of them already. So, to that point,
0: it's interesting because when the E Trade babies ones came out, they were all the rage. I think they won the ad meter one year. I was reading a summary of the spots, in at least one national publication said those were the worst commercials of the year. The E Trade ones, and really, I thought I still think that technology is pretty clever. That still works for me. Let's, oh, I
1: liked it a lot. So
0: Let's talk a little bit about how, I just read this a moment ago, 32% of Americans said they would consider their horoscope as a financial guide.
1: And how special is that, John? <laughs> For somebody who spent her life trying to help people make smarter financial decisions, I didn't realize that all I needed to do is bring in my astrologist to guide everybody.
0: Man, half the respondents report a healthy balance of savings and spending, 50%. But water signs, cancer. Really, they're doing this. Um,
1: uh, you know what? Sometimes this comes to us from Lending Tree, which every week has another, um, another kind of a crazy poll, and most of them are very useful. What What I thought was interesting about this one is that, you know, of the thirty two percent who say they follow astrology two-thirds say that they would have used or would use or consider would using, you know, the stars to guide their financial decisions. Now, the decisions they were asked about, the ones that they actually make based on their horoscope, I'm all good with those, right? They save extra money. They, well, maybe not this one, buy a lottery ticket. They started a side hustle. They paid off debt. They changed jobs, you know. But but the idea that this is going to, you know, this is like, you know, put a blindfold on and aim, you know paste up the stocks tables from, you know, an old newspaper and throw a dart at it, and that's what you should invest in. This is, you know, about that for me.
0: Well, this is not the stuff of your money moves with uh, Tom on... um... On uh, Sunday morning I'm, Let's talk about some of the things that people might use As a reference point for how they're doing financially We'll pick that up in just a minute We'll pick it up there in just a minute It's 1219 on WGN Elise Glink from Leak Media And Sunday's This Week in Wealth with Tom Fortino is on the line And Elise we're talking a little bit about resources to go to Or ways to think about your finances What comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, and I'm sure you've got a nice day of hearts planned, John. But one of the things that I find that I'm asked often about uh, in terms of the Best Money Move stuff and This Week in Wealth with Tom is how do I talk to my loved ones about money, whether that's your spouse or partner, your children, elderly parents? You know, relatives that you may have some responsibility for. How do you actually go about having these different conversations? And I think, you know, as we all get a little bit older, it's more and more important to have uh, these kinds of conversations. And people sometimes don't even know how to start them.
0: So give me an example.
1: All right. So... Um, John, we'll use you and your life as an example. Um, have you and your wife ever had a conversation about what your dream retirement looks like?
0: Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say our dream retirement. You know, we we do talk about it a little bit these days. I don't want to retire anytime soon. Uh, but if I may, I, there was an article over the weekend I saw, and it described how people live their lives. Um, and then when they retire they don't know what that fourth chapter is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, They described how a lot of us have this sort of uh, mythological experience in our lives where we're almost like the heroes. And then he said, like King David in the Bible or Luke Skywalker or any great story is told in three acts. First, the hero meets the challenge. Then the hero fights the bad guy. And then the hero comes home. And he said, you can imagine, though, in the fourth act, there's Luke Skywalker telling the same story to his grandkids as they roll their <laughs> eyes about how he beat Darth Vader. And he said so many people in that fourth act, which is never part of the movie or story. Uh, so many of them don't know who they are anymore. They just don't seem to have a purpose in life.
1: I, I think that's so important. Uh, and that's one of the que- the questions, you know, this idea of what is your dream retirement, what you're really trying to get behind because There isn't, you know, I know so many people who have, you know, okay, I'm done, I'm retired, and then they wake up the next day, or maybe it's a couple of weeks later, because, you know, it takes a while to shake off kind of our day-to-day life, and they think to themselves, the passion is gone, I don't have any idea or purpose. Like you were saying, I don't know what to do every day. It's a long day. And what am am I going to play shuffleboard my whole life? You know, nobody wants to do that. And so having these conversations with somebody, it gives you a, a shape to that fourth act, which I think is a nice way of putting it. And by the way, that fourth act for many people could last 30 years or longer. Yeah. Yeah. And so you really have to think about what's going to make you happy and what is that going to cost? And so I, this weekend, Tom and I spend a lot of time, you know, kind of going back and forth over this idea of, you know, how to pay for your retirement. But it's equally important to think about how you want to manage that time and the time that you have left. Now, maybe all you want to do is hang out with your grandkids. What happens if you don't have grandkids until you're in your 70s? You know, these days, people are waiting a long time to have kids, and so they don't seem to deliver on the schedule that you might want when you leave work.
0: I noticed that some of the things that you guys um, either talk about or are going to talk about this Sunday include questions like, how much risk do you like to take when it comes to investments? What kind of gift giver are you? Does talking about inflation in the economy make you anxious? Have you ever paid a bill late? And if so, why? Why? I think those are the questions that you might ask going into retirement, but better you ask before you get married. Those sound well, like pre-Kana.
1: It, what, some of them are, there are for all, all, let's just say there are different conversations to have at different points of your life, right? And as you're getting into a relationship, before you make a big commitment, before you have children, you know, yeah. these are the times where you want to make sure you understand. You know, if, if you're about to have, let's say, you, you know, you're, Pre-commitment, right? You're you're dating somebody, uh, or whatever it is the new language is for that. Yeah, my my generation, it was you're dating somebody. Um, but let's say you're you're deciding to take another step towards a more permanent relationship. I, I would want to know what somebody's debt looks like. I'd want to know what their credit score looks like. How much money do you make? You know, today young people are are maybe a little hesitant to get this close up and personal, but you really want to, you don't want to be surprised on the other side. I remember one of the last stories I did for WGN TV when I was on the air there was a story about, um, how you hide, what do you hide in terms of purchases from your spouse or partner? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, what is it that you don't tell them about what you do? And it was so interesting for all the women we interviewed, um, Makeup shoes, clothes they they said they hide a lot of those purchases. Uh, you know for men, it was um, outings with their male friends, uh, the amount of drinking that they were doing it you know when they would go to a bar um, and uh, and different games that they were buying, you know, to play. Uh, Those kinds of things were the things that they were hiding from their spouses. And I I think it's important to just understand what what do you like to do for recreation and how much does that cost? And what if you like to ski and do hella skiing and it costs 20,000 a week and I like to read books and it costs 20 bucks a month, you know, how do we balance that out in our budget? How do we plan for it and how do we enjoy that? And do I feel like I need to spend more just to equal the amount that you spend You know, or is it okay if I just spend $20 a month on my books?
0: Well, and and are you keeping a mental score in your head? I wonder what percentage of working couples have separate checking accounts then, uh, where, you know, like, you'll pay these bills, I'll pay these bills. I presume those working couples dedicate a a percentage they're comfortable with to the mortgage and the taxes and all that. But then I wonder what they think about the, the spending of their own personal finances,
1: yeah, I think the um, the um last number I saw on that, John, was a little over a third of all households keep separate checking accounts. Mine, yours, ours. And they contribute, in many cases, the same amount. What we see now that the vast majority of households are dual income, right? So um, and that, you know, in many times that number is equal, many times it's completely, you know, unequal. But no matter um, whether it 's equal or not, you know this contributing of a percentage, so if you earn one hundred thousand and I earn fifty thousand to be fair, we would each contribute let 's say fifty percent of our take home pay, whatever that is, and that would count as equal. And I think to your point of keeping score, that's a very dangerous game when it comes to love and money, because you think you're keeping score only on the money side, but somehow it always manages to find its way into the relationship side, and that can be really kind of a dangerous thing.
0: Well, if you're dating, and by that I mean pre-coupling, I believe mm. that that's a new phrase I just created so that you and I can feel <laughs> completely <laughs> contemporary, pre-coupling. Um, It would seem to me like you should have that conversation, but I wonder if you discover that the person you're falling in love with has a lot of debt, you know, $100,000 in student debt, or they just got behind on a credit card, Um, does that change your attitude about marrying them, you know, spending your life with that person? If you love them, you love them, right?
1: Well, yes, unless you feel like they've hidden things from you. Uh, Financial abuse is a real problem. Uh, people get surprised to the downside. And so, yeah, you can love somebody unless you feel they've lied to you about their money or their debt, um, which is a problem. Uh, I think also if you do have that debt or you discover that somebody you love has that debt, are you both committed to figuring out a way out of that debt? What does it look like to mm-hmm. live on? And also the debt can stay with that person and not become a shared Marital assets, so to speak. And you should think about that and talk about that. You know, should you take on your spouse or partner's student loan debt? Um, maybe, maybe not. So there are some things to talk about. And, uh, you know, this is as good a week as any.
0: Well, uh, that's part of the conversation you'll hear, or the kind of conversation you'll hear Sunday morning, this week in Wealth, with Elise Glink and Tom Fortino. They started at 7 a.m. Sundays, and Elise joins us Mondays at this time. Uh, we'll be listening. Thanks, Elise. You bet, John. You can find her at thinkglink.com. It's 1228. WGN Radio News is next. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. Mondays, we usually visit with Jim Dahlke, the national editor at American Inno. You can click on chicagoinno.com to find out the stuff that they're talking about. Let's uh, start with Jim. Hi, Jim. Good uh, afternoon. How are you?
2: Hey, John. Good. Thanks for having me.
0: And where do you want to start today? Maybe um, Salesforce? What's the news there?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, a couple of former Salesforce employees uh, have left uh, the tech giant here in Chicago to start a new startup called Pimley. Uh, Pimley is a, is a business-to-business software firm that helps companies get uh, specific product information into the Salesforce uh, platform. So essentially, if you're selling chairs, they can kind of get all the product details pretty much from any online location and throw that right into the Salesforce universe and mm-hmm. Hope your sales team better sell those products. And you know what's interesting about this, Pimley just raised five million dollars in a seed round. And what is you know interesting here is you know, this is an example of how you know, emerging startup cities can see some growth and momentum. Um, and it's why, you know, companies like Salesforce are important to, to cities like Chicago, because people come to Chicago, they work for a big company like Salesforce, and then they can often leave and start new startups. And that's, you know, what kind of helps keep the startup community growing and moving. And so, you know, you see that a lot um, in more established tech hubs like Silicon Valley, like New York. And so, again, this is just another example, I think, of, of Chicago's continued tech growth that, hey, you know, a, a big tech company can open up shop in town you know be a great place for local tech talent to work and then they spin out of that company to create a new startup which in turn raises money cre- uh, creates new jobs and the the wheel keeps spinning so really interesting new startup in chicago called Pimley.
0: and can you tell us more about what Pimley's going to do or how they're going to do it
2: yeah so basically what they do is um you know they are a Salesforce native product so their product lives right within the Salesforce uh, universe. And so they're, they're essentially a product information management platform. That's a lot of words to basically say, hey, we are a, an app that lets you put your product information directly into Salesforce, no matter where that product information lives on the web. So really just making it a lot easier to get all of your products info directly into Salesforce. Of course, the employee's you know, having formerly worked at Salesforce, they know that uh, uh, ecosystem very well, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, not a surprise that they're working closely there.
0: I'm surprised they let them do that. Isn't there some sort of covenant that you can't do something like that?
2: So the, the platform is available within the Salesforce App Exchange, and Salesforce makes this directly for, you know, its clients, oh, right? Okay. So they have this sort of whole app universe, right, where they've got um, access to all these Salesforce-native apps, and, and so they, they all sort of work well with one another and speak together.
0: Talk to me about the Chicago startup Beacon.
2: Yeah, so Beacon, uh, interesting new startup here in Chicago. Um, They are a wall-mounted cleaning device that utilizes far UVC light. So essentially, what Beacon does is um, it's this uh, hand-held or about the size of a hand. It's internet-connected, goes up on the wall, and is designed to rid about an average-sized room of bacteria. Viruses, germs, pathogens in just about eight minutes or less. Um, they say this far UVC light is actually safer for you and better than a uh, UV light, which is used in kind of phone cleaning and tanning beds, not really designed for. A prolonged exposure beacon, on the other hand, says um, it's far UVC light is better for um, the public spaces and has been uh, proven to be safer and uh, for human exposure. And so, you know, obviously, in a post COVID world, we're thinking about, hey, how are we continuing to keep our spaces germ free, virus free? Um, and this is, you know, they'll the like the, the, kind of the latest entrance. Uh, into the space. Um, you can check out their site. They're going to be available in the spring, they say. So not quite ready yet, but these are going to retail for about four ninety nine. You can think, um, you know, your home, for example, but obviously businesses are going to be, you know, a big player here. So you would imagine that Beacon is going to be really targeting business spaces uh, that are looking to kind of sanitize uh, their their you know operating spaces with this far UVC light.
0: That's a weird phrase. Far F A R as a near far F A R dash UVC light. I've never heard of that. Five hundred bucks. I get this. I can sanitize the room in six, seven, eight minutes. Is it like a wand that I walk around, or is it a light bulb that screws in? Yeah, that's a great
2: question. You know, one part of this, too, is that it's connected to your uh, Wi-Fi-enabled app, too. So uh, basically, you'll be able to control this right from your phone so you can set it to time at certain areas, right? So uh, you can really kind of manage the whole experience right from your phone. And so I think that, you know, that's one aspect of this that, you know, that Beacon certainly thinks will be useful to folks. You kind of have control of this, you know, really, you know, from the palm of your hand.
0: I get the feeling it's something wall-mounted and it'll shoot out these cleaning rays, and sanitize the home that way. It's not a light bulb, I don't think. Is mm-hmm. it? Yeah, um, No. Why fewer deliveries could be good f- uh, news for Chicago startup Entree. This is um, a story on your site right now. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, another new startup in Chicago called Entree, uh, jumping into the food delivery space. No shortage of food delivery companies out here, but Andre's kind of taking a really interesting approach. Um, you know, they are a kind of meal delivery service designed by Michelin trained chefs. Um, really, the idea is that they bring you the food, and all you got to do is heat it up, plate it, and serve it. So, really, making it easy. Um, the The differentiator here is this really, you know, an elevated experience. I mean, these are um, not just a greasy cheeseburger showing up to your front door, right? This is, you know, this is salmon. This is steak. This is you know, a ravioli that's you know very high quality. So really, what they're looking for here is a, is a high quality approach to food delivery. What I also found interesting about Entree, uh, no tipping, no service fees, no delivery fees. I think the food delivery interest industry is kind of running into what Airbnb has run into, where you know you go onto Airbnb and you you know find a place for one ninety nine a night, and you get to the uh, checkout page and you realize that one ninety nine all of a sudden became Two ninety nine 99 or three ninety nine, So the price that you're actually paying is a lot more than that first price that you saw. I think that's a similar experience a lot of folks have with food delivery is that, boy, by the time you get to that last checkout page and you put a 20% tip on there for your delivery driver, boy, you're paying a lot of money for that cheeseburger and fries. And so I think the fact that they're taking an approach of, hey, we're going to front load all those fees. you are not going to show you any additional delivery fees could be a a, a really big differentiator for
0: these guys. And what food is being delivered? Is it from area high-end restaurants then?
2: Yeah, and so they've got chefs that are actually making these um, on hand. And so, Hmm. you know, you've got, um, you know, uh, so a few sweet potato ravioli is one dish that they've got. Um, They've got a, a big Valentine's Day experience with a bunch of different options, mushroom risotto, um, you know, they've got a, a miso-glazed cod, um, Italian bolognese. So, I mean, this is, yeah, these are, like I said, it's an elevated dining experience here with the idea that, hey, you can get, you know, kind of restaurant-quality food sent right to your house, warm it up, and serve it on a plate, and you've got a really nice meal for you.
0: Right, but I'm, uh, But they're not picking it up from area restaurants. Rather, they're cooking it f- originally in their mm-hmm. kitchen fresh for you, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, it does remind me, we were talking with Steve Dolinsky, the pizza guy, the author and expert about pizza in Chicago, last week on Pizza Day, and he said that he doesn't feel like pizza delivers well. I said, French fries don't deliver well. He said, the crust suffers. You put a beautiful, delicious pizza on a piece of cardboard and then drive it around town until it gets to somebody's house and the crust is... Softer instead of crispy like it should be, or whatever it is. I thought the pizza was one of those foods that travel pretty well. Don't you think so?
2: And I do think it's the kind of pizza that you're going for, right? I mean, if you're getting kind of an artisan Neapolitan style pizza, yeah, maybe that thing doesn't travel so well. Twenty minutes in the car and the little warming bag, right? But hey, if you're just getting a, a you know a cheesy sausage pizza from the you know local mom and pop. Uh, pizza joint, uh, I think that thing probably travels okay. So I think it depends on the type of pizza that you're going for. But, you know, those are certainly, you know, concerns for the food delivery industry. And I think it's, you know, partly, you know, the reason that some of those companies have struggled post-pandemic. Obviously, all of those businesses saw major, major booms during COVID and um, have not exactly caught the wave as people sort of returned back to normal life. And, I think partly of that is, you know, the food that arrives to your door isn't always of the, the precious quality, and yeah. then to the price, right? So, I mean, obviously, it's it's very expensive if you're going to be ordering out all the time.
0: I've never had a Malnati's delivered, and I went, hmm, the crust isn't exactly the way. I just started eating that stuff. I you know I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm that particular. When pizza arrives, I eat pizza. Jim Dalkey is the national editor at American Inno, and they talk about stuff like this at com. Okay, Jim, next week, thank you for your time. Thanks, John. Time for WGN Radio's uh, uh, news to continue. Actually, we'll do the news at the top of the hour. We've got more business news now. And here is Steve Grzanich.
3: Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. A Skokie company that's working to turn pollution into energy is now trading on the NASDAQ. Lanzotech Global expected to raise about $240 million from going public. The company's process uses bacteria to turn carbon monoxide gases, like those emitted as pollution from factories, into sustainable fuels, fabrics, packaging, and other products. LanzaTech says it'll break even by 2024 company is trading under the symbols lnza and lnzaw. Chicago area commercial property values are up. A report in Crane says values rose 2.8 percent in 2022. That's considerably less than the 22.5 percent increase in 2021, but is still seen as a positive development given the current market turmoil. Stats from MSCI Real Assets show the volume of commercial property sales in the Chicago area fell to about $11 billion last year, down about 12% from 2021. I'm Steve Grizanich,
4: and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. With the business of food, here's Steve Alexander. Yep, and and did you see the Illinois farm girl in the Super Bowl commercial last night? I'll talk about her after I tell you we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Yeah, that was... Illinois farm girl, Melissa McCarthy, in her wacky Super Bowl ad last night. She was born in Plainfield. Sandra and Michael are her mom and dad. She was raised just outside of town on her family's corn and soybean farm. And she wasn't the only Illinois farm connection in Super Bowl ads. I'm just a farmer. That is Chad Bell from Viola. That's about a half hour south of the Quad Cities. He and his family were featured in a Super Bowl ad for Illinois farm families, a campaign called the 96ers. We want to bridge the gap between farmers and consumers. and and this has taken the first step of uh, helping consumers be aware that 96% of all Illinois farms are family-owned and operated. Yeah, 96% are family-owned. A recent survey showed Illinoisans believe over half of the farms are corporate farms, which comes with a stigma, you know, big, bad, dirty, impersonal. So along comes the Illinois Farm Families Coalition to try to change opinions. The coalition includes organizations representing all the crop and livestock producers in Illinois. Marty Marr is past president of Illinois Corn, and he farms near New Berlin.
2: Yep, we are part of that 96%. We run a family operation here since uh,
4: 1931. One. Last night was the big splash for the campaign, but... You're going to be able to
2: see lots of different uh, family farmers uh, represented from around the state, about 25 or more uh, they're going to be featured through this campaign
4: and not to pick nits but many family farms are corporations kind of like mom and pop bakeries or hardware stores are incorporated
2: that's a very very good point you know we're we're incorporated ourselves but but we're at the end of the day it's still a family farm
4: all right anything else marty
2: just want to tell uh, all our consumer uh, friends out there thank you and uh that you got a lot of dedicated farmers out here in in, uh, rural america that's for sure
4: there you go from the family farm to your Belly. today's National Cheddar Cheese Day. It's also a National Italian Food Day. That's the business of food on 720 WGN.
0: 12.53 on the Wing Trust Business Lunch. Uh, Jody Zamballo is the Associate Vice President Visitor Events and Programs at the Chicago Botanic Garden. The uh, Orchid Show this year is titled The Orchid Show Magnified. Hi Jody, why are you calling it Magnified this year?
5: John, thank you for having me. So Magnified, it is about uh, getting up close to the orchid and seeing them large and intricate details of these, uh, of these um, orchids. So a lot of fun things, exaggerated elements um, that feature more than 10,000 orchid blooms. So it's a playful manipulation of scale and proportion.
0: What do they look like? Describe the orchids to us.
5: Okay. Uh, Well, the orchids themselves are beautiful, all different kinds of colors and uh, different kinds of orchids. And uh, the approach this year was, uh, like I said, to get big and to get close. So you're going to see playful interpretations. So for example, in one of our galleries, we have um, kind of like a telescope effect um, of orchids um, arranged in that way. Um, It's a great um, kind of like a Instagramable area I'd call it With yeah. um, beautiful lighting as well yeah. um, And then we're um, Using Fresnel Lenses if you know what those Are and So the orchids are behind those lenses, and depending on how you stand in front of those lenses, all of a sudden the orchid just appears larger than life. Um, And you can really see the detail on them. Um, And then we have tiny little orchids with um, magnifying glasses that you can use to um, look at the, the intricacies of those. Um, so it's just amazing.
0: What a good idea, uh, because I've certainly looked at them with the naked eye. They're spectacular. Mm-hmm. But the varieties of uh, patterns and colors and orchids, of course, is is the joy of those things. I was reading again in anticipation of the show coming back, The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. I'm sure you've read it, too. And I, she said something like... Um, there are more varieties of orchids than any other flowering plant on earth. The, 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 yeah. the color palette you have is just really something to see, mm-hmm. isn't it?
5: It is, and especially this time of year. Okay, albeit this past weekend and today, the sun is out. It's <laughs> yeah. almost 50 degrees, yeah. but, you know, we always say, what better way, um, you know, to this time of year than to escape the, the gloom of the weather and without sun than to come and see these beautiful plants in all their glory um, at the Orchid Show.
0: This is at the Chicago Botanic Garden in Glencoe, and the regular hours are 10 to 4 daily thursdays and tuesdays the show is open in the evenings from five to eight um is that correct Right.
5: so that that's orchids after hours uh, is every thursday we do have a special one tomorrow night because it's valentine's day uh, but it, there are very few tickets left so uh, you're going to want to grab those
0: quickly you, do you do a sale at the end of the show of the orchids
5: Yes, we do. So the Thursday after the last Sunday of the show, we have, um, and it's literally a fire sale. They go so quickly. Um, Great prices on all those orchids and some of the props that we use. And um, it is um, a member sale, usually right up until the end. So you're going to want to check that out and be sure that you're a member um, and check out those hours.
0: That's Thursday, March the 30th. March 30th, correct, from 9
5: to 4. Mm -hmm.
0: If I want to get tickets, do I have to have a ticket in advance to go to the show, though, during the run through March?
5: It usually helps to have it in advance because they are time tickets throughout the day. So just go to chicagobotanic.org/orchid and all the information is right there.
0: Okay, it's uh, up and running. It goes through uh, March 26th, the sale on the 30th. Go to chicagobotanic.org. Okay, Jody, uh, good luck. Thanks for visiting with us.
5: Yes, thank you so much, John. Take care.